Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 76. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with our dear friend, Julie Bogart, all about her new book, Raising Critical Thinkers, and having faith in our teens when they don't follow the well-worn path. It is the dynamic exchange of ideas between two interested parties that helps your kids retain what they're learning. School doesn't have that opportunity because it's one teacher with 25 or 30 students. But even in a family with 10 kids, you already have a better ratio than the school. So if you really want to grow the mind life of your children, engage them in conversations and ask open-ended style questions. Plus, we'll share about our Wild and Free Conference in Dallas, Texas, coming up on May 20 and 21. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. Several years ago, I threw in the towel on homeschooling. It's not you, it's me, I told my kids rather dramatically. I failed you. About an hour later, I found myself sitting on a park bench while my kids played on the playground occasionally inviting me to join them despite my half-hearted responses. I felt numb, tired, and lonely. For 30 miserable minutes, I had a perfect pity party, a wonderful wallow in a pit of worries. I knew I wasn't the first parent to reach this point. I just never thought it would be me. The truth is, I was drowning in self-doubt. I had lost sight of my true north. On that particular windless, wintry day, a strange and sudden gust blew across the park and jolted me out of my rueful reverie. It was then that I heard my children's laughter. I felt the sun's warmth on my face and the cold air in my nostrils. I inhaled the scent of grass and pine and sweat on their clothes as they raced over to embrace me. I absorbed the joy in their smiles and the life from their rosy cheeks and I felt a rush of adrenaline flow through my body. Their chilly hands pulled me up from the park bench. You're it, Mom. Try and catch us. In an instant, I was back in the present, back to the place I was supposed to be, back to my senses, literally and figuratively, back to the miracle of the moment. I had been living in the stars, so busy chasing an ideal that I'd lost sight of my true calling. Connection, rest, pleasure, peace, and joy. Often we so idolize our ideals that we miss the miracles before us. When our dream doesn't become a reality right away, we let discouragement get the better of us. We compare ourselves to others and seek approval from people who don't understand. We lose our way. While my elusive North Star enchanted me, my children grounded me. Perhaps we won't find our true north by looking to the stars, but discovering what grounds us in the place we belong. Perhaps our true north is closer than we think. Perhaps it's been right in front of us all along. As we embark on a brave new year, my hope is that you will find peace in the present and contentment in the moment, that you will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. My prayer is that if you fall, you will know that grace is always there waiting to pick you up and point you in the right direction again, back to your true north.
friends, this is the perfect time to become a Wild and Free subscriber. If you join our community today, you'll not only get access to January's North Content Bundle, packed with tutorials, handcrafts, articles, and exclusive podcasts, but you'll also get access to our brand new Refuge Bundle for the month of February. These monthly content bundles are lovingly crafted by wild and free homeschooling mamas just like you and are the heart and soul of this community. Plus, when you subscribe, we'll put a welcome kit in the mail that includes a wild and free decal, a letter from me, and your first edition of the wild and free monthly print magazine. To take advantage of this special offer, visit bewildandfree.org bundles. We'll hear from Julie Bogart in just a moment. But first, I have a big announcement to make. Dear, you are more than capable of meeting the daily moments of motherhood. Not because you are perfect, not because you will always get it right, but because you are willing. Because the daily motions of your life are preserving the good this world so desperately needs. And because you love your children. Friends, we just opened registration for our spring Wild and Free Conference in Dallas, Texas, this May 20th and 21st, and we would love to have you there. You'll experience two days of insight, inspiration, encouragement, and community with nearly 1,000 other Wild and Free Mamas. You'll hear from speakers like Sally Clarkson, Julie Bogart, Amber Johnston, Bethany Douglas, LCU to cello, and many others. Not to mention music by the Hunts. It's my last are a band of seven brothers and sisters who just so happen to have been homeschooled. They've performed at nearly all of our conferences, and we can't wait for you to hear them for the first time or the 10th. Wild and Free conferences are more than just events for homeschooling mamas. They're reunions among kindred spirits and friends. We hope you'll join us too, but don't wait too long. We announced the event last week and only have about 100 tickets left. To sign up, go to bewildandfree.org slash Dallas. Julie Bogart is a longtime friend of the Wild and Free community. She's the author of The Brave Learner, and now her new book, Raising Critical Thinkers, releases on February 1st. She recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about having faith in our teens when they take the path less chosen. I was so moved and encouraged by this interview, and I know you will be too. Let's listen in. I'm so happy to be here. It's been a while, Jen. I love talking with you. Yeah. Yeah, I love talking with you, Julie. You give us so much hope. One of the things I was thinking about, I'm, I'm excited about talking to you for so many reasons. You have a new book out about raising critical thinkers. But one of the things that you do when I talk to you, when I podcast with you, is you help parents overcome this lie 
that learning and homeschooling has to be hard, has to be miserable, <laughs> has to be like nose to the grindstone, books open eight hours a day. You dispel those myths. Gosh, I agree. In fact, one of the words that a lot of times I hear from people when they are trying to justify the homeschooling experience is that we can provide some sort of rigor, like rigorous education, rigorous academics. And I often think that the word rigor is just a substitute for the word coercion. It's a justification for allowing parents to feel okay about pressuring their kids into working hard, you know, and whatever that means to them, looking like school, um, biting off more than their age necessarily needs. The way I think about education is so much more um, oriented to the stage and age of development of the child so that we're dealing with a real living, breathing human who has all the tools they need today to learn what they need today, rather than pressing them for some future vision of a person who doesn't even exist yet. I love that. And I think that, you know, most homeschoolers agree that in the early years, we can reach our children and play Play-Doh and give them a quiet growing, you know, time than what Charlotte Mason said. But then they get to junior high and high school and all of that creativity, all of that interest led learning goes out the window and they feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to keep up with the state standards and I've got to make the transcript. And how, how can you still have joy and let joy lead the way, as you say, in the junior high and high school years? Such a fabulous question. I'm so glad you brought it up because uh, not to necessarily plug my book, but literally I just wrote a book that is designed for that experience. So when we think of the early years, we're really thinking about the environmental factors that allow our children to have the freedom to use their full bodies, to use their imaginations, to use their experience to create a learning condition that allows them to get what they need. So uh, my famous experience that I've shared with you know thousands of parents is to pair the study of poetry with tea time and scones and lit candles and making it a little bit of a celebration. Just by influencing the environmental factors, we open the spirit and the heart to being receptive to poetry. So in the early years, parents can really latch on to that. They're willing to make an art table. They like having a dress-up clothes basket. They're interested in taking nature walks. But for some reason, when we get to junior and senior high, we have now moved into the part of the academic life that feels more abstract we're dealing with concepts, processes, ideas, philosophies, political and social issues. And suddenly we get roped into believing that all of those tools that we set aside in the younger years are now suddenly essential. The multiple choice test, the memorization of information, the writing of reports. And what we're forgetting is that even at those stages of development, they can be invited into wonder. But the difference at that stage is not necessarily setting a table for tea, although I will say that tea goes well with everything you study, right? <laughs> right? But it is also teaching the mind how to have what I call a rhetorical imagination, the capacity to inquire and hold multiple viewpoints simultaneously while you play with them like a Lego set. 
you rearrange your ideas, you examine them one against each other, you use experiences and encounters with real people to stimulate and catalyze new ways of seeing the world or seeing an idea. And so the junior and senior high years can be rich with wonder if we know how to engage our children's minds, not just their bodies. One of the things that we did in high school is we made their, our children's interests fit the transcript. So I didn't say, oh, did you have 100 hours of studying chemistry? You can have a chemistry credit. I looked at all of the life things that my child, this was a child who I knew wasn't going into science. I looked at all of the life things that they were doing, and I made that into a chemistry unit. And so some of it was studying a chemistry textbook. Some of it was baking bread. Some of it was planning meals or all kinds of things that that might not have looked very chemistry ish to a teacher. But we made that fit the transcript so that she had time to pursue the things that were really of interest to her. What are some examples of how in your life, you've given your high school and junior high students freedom to pursue their interests and still giving them a decent transcript so they could apply to a college? Absolutely. Such a great question. So my oldest son, Noah, uh, was the child that was the experiment, right? He's my oldest. I'm the most nervous. I want him to go to college badly. That's a high value in our family. So I felt like it was my job to push him to complete certain course credits, things like Algebra 2 or geometry or getting that chemistry or physics or biology class. And I'll never forget after his sophomore year of high school, he just refused. He told me I'm not going to study chemistry. I'm not going to learn Algebra 2. And I tanked. I, I did all the things you should not do as a parent. I blamed him. I threatened him. I prophesied doom. This is what parents always <laughs> You'll do. You'll be a bomb checker. <laughs> yeah, right. If you don't get this done, you're going to end up in some low paying job that you'll hate, right? Like that's, that's what we do. We kind of use this reverse threat strategy. But fortunately, Noah was quite loyal to his own imagination and his own self uh, awareness. It wasn't that he knew he would find a job that he loves if he didn't go to college. But what he knew is he couldn't live a life that he didn't love right now. And so when I really came up against that dire moment, I said, all right, I will trust you. But I just want you to know I've shown you all the things I think you need. So if, if it works out that you needed them, um, it's not on me, right? Like I was like trying to get that blame off of myself. And interestingly, the first thing Noah became interested in was Klingon. He got fascinated with constructed languages and started with Klingon and then built to Esperanto and then ones that are currently under construction. And that became a source of real fascination to him to the point that when he finally was ready for college, and by then he he decided to go when he was 19, not when he was 17 or 18, he studied linguistics. And when he went to college, he only studied linguistics. He tried to do the traditional you know, classes or whatever and didn't like them, all the general education credits. And so all he did was the major, never got a degree, but got what he wanted out of college. Ironically, uh, the school took him. It was University of Cincinnati. And even without chemistry or algebra two, his work that he had done in constructed languages 
during those years of high school made him an attractive candidate for college. And they waived both of those requirements so that he could go to that school. I share this with you, not because it's a template, not because it's a guarantee, but it was such a lesson to me. In fact, as we put his application in the mail, he said to me, if it turns out I can't get into this college because I didn't take algebra two, I'm going to kick myself. And I thought that was fascinating, right? Like he understood that he had made that choice and he was going to have to pay the consequence, but then he didn't. Turned out I was wrong. I turned out to be the one who was in the wrong. So what I learned with my subsequent kids is that it was really important to make time for the things that they cared about, to customize their education according to what worked best for them. My daughter, Johanna, my second one, she did sort of a hybrid. She did some in-person schooling at the local public school. She had some tutorials and she did some education with me in high school. And her homebrewed transcript was just this beautiful amalgamation of all her various interests and different ways of learning. Uh, so I think when we're thinking about this next stage, what we want to do is really have great conversations with our children and help them discover what it is they care about. And for some kids, it looks like floundering for a little while, by the way. Noah didn't just dive into Klingon and suddenly have a view of linguistics. It first just looked like he was wasting a lot of time on the computer, right? So I just want to throw that out there in case you're picturing that he was like, okay, I'm going on this course of study. That isn't what happened. I love that, Julie. It's interesting because... Um... You talk a lot about raising critical thinkers. And as you were homeschooling your children, it sounds like there was a lot of conversations going like it wasn't just, oh, do your studies, do your studies. It sounds like you guys are really discussing all of these things. And that's probably a big part of what raised critical thinkers in your family. For sure. In fact, one of the things I said in The Brave Learner is that the dinner table is where most of the education takes place if you're a talkative family, right? Big, juicy conversations do more to solidify what your kids are learning than any amount of reading or any amount of that writing. helps your kids retain what they're learning. School doesn't have that opportunity because it's one teacher with 25 or 30 students. But even in a family with 10 kids, you already have a better ratio than the school. So if you really want to grow the mind life of your children, engage them in conversations and ask open-ended style questions. For instance, um, in Raising Critical Thinkers, by the way, the subtitle should be A Thousand and One Questions Parents Can Ask Their Children, because every chapter has just this humongous slew of questions you can ask. But here's a great example of something you could ask a child at any age. Let's say you're watching a Disney movie or reading a fairy tale. You can, or, or even a, a more sophisticated film, you know, something that's PG rated and just out this year. It doesn't have to be, you know, an archetypal story. You can ask your child, what would have this story been like if it had been told from the viewpoint of X character? So, you know, if it's the three little pigs, what if we said, well, what if this story were told from the wolf's viewpoint? Let's say it's the little mermaid. What would this story look like if it was only told from the father's perspective, right? Start to invite your children to use their imaginations to go beyond the surface details. And you can do that, obviously, in politics and history and sociology and all those. But just start with stories. 
Conversations that invite that exploration are what grow minds. We'll be back with Julie and Jen in just a moment, but I wanted to let you know how you can get a content bundle from Wild and Free for absolutely free. Each month, dozens of Wild and Free mamas put together articles, stories, podcasts, tutorials, and handcrafts to help you keep wonder alive in your home, no matter what's going on in the world. These pieces are beautifully curated with practical insights, gorgeous photography, wisdom from veteran homeschoolers, and best practices from other mamas just like you. If you haven't checked out a content bundle, we've got a way for you to try one for free. Go to bewildandfree.org bundles and select the free option. You'll immediately get access to our cherished Belong Bundle, which will help remind you that no matter how you homeschool, whatever you do, you are not alone. We have each other, and we're in this together. That's bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Now, back to Julie Bogart and Jennifer Pepito. My husband and I have gotten over some of our own you know, childhood trauma and shame. So Mm. when our kids, you know, I think a lot of times the playful atmosphere that you need to encourage these kind of conversations are squashed when parents are living in shame or afraid. You know, when parents are trying to have their identity be through their kids, like they're trying to prove themselves to their kids. It's really hard to let a child do something exploratory or let a child ask a question that seems offbeat. But when we as parents, you know, in my in my case, getting some of my relationships settled and some of that trauma healed, that's made it a lot easier to be playful with my kids and almost to have faith. Sometimes parenting is like a game of chicken. You're, you're, you're like, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, you don't know how this is going to turn out. And sometimes it looks like it's not going to turn out very well. And in my case, I keep praying and I keep trying to be cheerful and open-minded and playful about it. And things do work out. You know, I love that you brought up the role of trauma and shame in parenting. It's so rarely mentioned. So frequently, we are trying to fix what was broken in our past on behalf of our kids. You know, I heard someone say the other day that we're no longer helicopter parents. We are bulldozer parents or snowplow parents. We are trying so fiercely to clear the way so that they'll have the right ideals, the right values, and the best life experience so they won't suffer. But what grows a mind and grows character and grows courage are risks. And some of those risks will be intellectual or spiritual or emotional. Some of the choices your kids will make, they will discard later in life, but they're 15. (laughs) And they are experimenting with community values that are outside the family because it's their first awareness that there are other ways of living that make sense to other groups of people that they've never encountered before. The biggest gift you can give kids in those moments is to remember that you don't even hold the same ideas you had when you were 15 and 16, that you have evolved, that we tend to try on an idea like dress of clothes as a child, and then we take it off and we go back to the idea that is the most familiar. Give your kids some room to argue with you, to have a different perspective, to think that you're sort of retrogressive. This is all part of developing that flexibility of mind that allows them to be healthy human beings. Yeah, it's a, it is a 
it's a tense time, <laughs> you know, well, that you put a person has put so much into raising children in the way that you want to raise them. And then when they, you know, you're, you're into nature and all of a sudden your kids want to sit in their room playing video games or you're into um, music and they won't have anything to do with it. Like it is, it can be really intense to see your children choose to love things that you don't really love, but there has to be you know, some faith in a sense that it's all going to work out. And instead of panicking, like often as parents, we panic when we see our kids making choices that don't feel right for us. You know, I, I just have to jump in with an amazing story about my mother. Uh, for those who don't know, my mom is uh, a lifelong author and she's also just the best role model of parenting I've ever known. And I'll never forget, she came to visit us in Ohio. She lives in California and Noah at the time was 15 or 16 and he was really into heavy metal music, Rage Against the Machine and uh, Metallica, you know, those kinds of, of songs. And I had really struggled with these choices of music initially. Uh, I wrote about it in The Brave Learner. My husband and I at the time were very restrictive and harsh and had views, right? And we sort of had to learn to let Noah explore music. When my mother arrived, not knowing any of this, not knowing there had ever been conflict, not knowing anything about his musical evolution, the last she knew he liked Rafi, right? Like Rafi. So she arrives and I think just to test her, Noah turned on this very loud music and my mom said, oh, what, what band is that? And Noah told her and she said, I've never heard that music. Can you please show me the lyrics? I'd like to understand what they're saying. And he took her up to his bedroom and I walked by and they were both laying belly down on the floor with a CD booklet open, reading the lyrics while they were listening to heavy metal, my sweet mother. <laughs> and I, I just like everything inside of me collapsed. I was like, oh yeah, that's how you love. Oh yeah, that's how this is done. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so sweet. I read a, it was an article online by Frank Schaefer. So he was the son oh, of yes. Edith and Francis Schaefer. And Edith and Francis were very famous evangelical Christians. And their son made like a different life for himself. But in his article, he said that his mom, her example of just being so loving and so accepting and so positive. I mean, she really, she lived what she believed, but she also gave him the freedom to make probably life choices that weren't comfortable for her. And at the end of his life, he, or when she was dying, his last kind of tribute to her was, you know, I've seen the way you live and I believe, you know, and so I think that as moms, we have to have faith sometimes that maybe our kids aren't applying themselves the way we think they should in order to get into college, or maybe some of the things they're doing aren't, comfortable and we can still keep teaching and being moms and saying, you know, giving examples, but I think to panic and then reject our children or cut off communication or shame our children is counterproductive to, to thinking minds and to happy families. You know, I'm amazed that you brought up the Schaefer's. I don't know if you know this, but I spent time at Labrie. I met Francis and Edith and I've actually corresponded with Frank I'll never forget being in Labrie, sitting next to Edith, and one of her daughters and sons-in-law lived on the same campus in Switzerland. This is a little enclave that 
was for people who were sort of sojourners looking for spiritual guidance, and they would go up to the Schaefer's uh, cabins, and you could stay there for weeks or months or years at a time. Anyway, one of her daughters and sons-in-law had a bunch of kids, and they go to school all morning, and then in Switzerland, everyone comes home for lunch for an hour, and then they go back to school in the afternoon. And this daughter was really distraught over just whatever was going on in their family life. They had a, a tough dynamic at the time. And I'll never forget Edith saying at this big dinner table with everybody there, she said, you get an hour and a half a day to make a happy memory for your children during lunch. Don't squander it. Add Those hours all add up into a lifetime of memories and a feeling about their family. And I really took that to heart. I remember coming home. I wasn't even married. I was in college at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm going to remember that when I'm a mother, that the job we have isn't to steer our children into a happy life. It's literally to create the happy memory. It's to create space for our children to feel good about being in our families. And if we keep that central, the ideas will come and go, ebb and flow, evolve and contract, but they will have a sense of security that their well-being can be centered in this family that they have been, you know, blessed to be a part of. Yeah, I love that so much and I think really Connected families are what the world needs most right now. If we could heal some of the brokenness and some of the bitterness that happens when families are at odds with each other and angry with each other and using harsh words, I think it would make the world a lot more lovely place. So good. Agreed totally. Julie, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's fun the way our minds keep going. And I'm very jealous that you got to be in Switzerland at Labrie. <laughs> Both Switzerland and Labrie would have been um, dreams spots for me. So thank you so much for taking the time today. I loved it. You're always a joy to talk to. Thank you, Julie. I can't wait for everyone listening to get their hands on your new book, Raising Critical Thinkers, available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And friends, don't forget about our Wild and Free Conference in Dallas, Texas, this May 20th and 21st. You'll hear from Julie Bogart, as well as some other incredible speakers. Join us for two unforgettable days at the historic Statler Hotel, where we'll be reminded that saving childhood is worthy of our time, energy, and passion. To sign up, go to bewildandfree.org slash Dallas. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next time for the Wild and Free podcast.